This is the Child Discipleship Podcast powered by Awana. I'm Ross. You know who you are. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. I am so excited. Guys, I'm here with Phil and Diane Comer. Phil and Diane, welcome back to the podcast. It is so great to see you. Thank you. And it's great to see you too. And especially your cool glasses. You're just looking mm. really good. But we're honored. Thank you. We're honored to be invited. We we love Awana. Okay. We love what you guys are doing. And it's a privilege. Yeah. to be be with you. Thank you for the kind words about the ministry. And also as a podcast person, thank you for complimenting the way I dress. That doesn't happen very often. Now, I've been blessed so much by your guys' ministry, but for, for purposes of setting a little bit of background, for people who aren't familiar with your ministry, Intentional Parents International, can you just provide a bit of context? Can you tell folks about Intentional Parents in the scope of your ministry? Yeah, sure. It, it came out of a church that our son, Jamark, uh, and uh and i planted together with our wives and god it was a revival really and and god brought tons of 20 somethings and then within about five years they were getting married and having children so we were asked by our son and by our elders to put something together in parenting and it had been our personal passion to raise our kids to follow jesus but we never talked about doing a quote ministry to parents but that's how it got launched and we found out really quickly that there's a hunger all over the world for for this parents once you come to jesus and have a child you want your son or daughter to love jesus like you love jesus and so uh that's how it was birthed intentional parents international and god led us to say international we weren't really sure we were just starting out there in <laughs> oregon but it did become international so now we've been to multiple countries and then you know a bunch of cities in the u.s and so god's given us a calling to bring biblical hope and practical help to parents all over the world. It's a real targeted ministry to help them in their God-given task of raising the next generation of passionate Jesus followers. And then our son-in-law, who's been through a lot of trauma, who works with us along with our daughter, Elizabeth, he's added the word healing to bring biblical hope, practical help, and healing to families because there's so much brokenness. So that's our calling. It's it's really targeted to, you know, people have come to Christ through the ministry, but it's really targeted to parents who you know, know Jesus and actually want to follow him mm-hmm. closely and raise their kids to do the same. So, And who are being awakened to the fact that they are the first line of defense mm-hmm. for the next generation, that yeah. it's, that it's on us as parents to make disciples of the next generation. Mm-hmm. And I love the word that I know you use sometimes that are wanted to resilient disciples mm-hmm. in this day and age to build that kind of strength, and um, wisdom and depth into the next generation so that they will be able to resiliently stand strong and bring hope to the world. And and basically we do that through our, our film series, our live conferences, uh, podcasts, um, speaking in churches. And, um, and, and that's, that's our calling right now. And we we're older and we are, we're just like, pinch ourselves that we get to do this that we have work to do we get to help and that primarily it's young parents you Mm -hmm. know who are coming to our ministry which is really encouraging because what we're sharing is on the preventative side hey the lord wants your kid to follow him even more than you do and he's told you Mm -hmm. exactly how to raise him yeah It's, it's you know you can't do it on your own you need him and then but if you if you do it right you know there's no perfect parent nobody looks back and says i did it perfect but if you if you do it god's way from the start all the way through it's 
it's amazing to, to see what the Lord can do in the life of your son and daughter. So, mm-hmm. uh, that that's exciting for us too. So that's, that's basically it. Well, you said something right there that I want to lean into because I think for so many parents, especially right now, there is this feeling of, I don't know how to do this. Uh, we did a research study this that came out earlier in 2022 called Children's Ministry into a New Reality. And it pointed to this stalemate where so many parents feel ill-equipped to raise their kids to be resilient disciples, to raise their kids with a lasting faith in Jesus. They just simply don't know how. Yeah. And yet, Phil, I'm, look, I'm listening to what you're just saying of God actually makes this pretty clear. Mm-hmm. And that he provides this ex- sort of exact roadmap is I'm not, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Your website says something that stood out to me, which is the most important task is to raise your own children to become passionate Jesus followers who would in turn raise the next generation of all in Jesus followers. Yeah. What stands out to me about that phrasing is that is such a long-term goal. Yeah. yeah. But you're a parent ministry, which means you have this long-term goal but you also have diapers to change and yeah. movie nights to plan and soccer practices to get to and Awana nights to figure out. Like you have all of this day-to-day craziness. And like you said, no perfect parents, but you had to figure out what that balance looked like between the day-to-day parenting and the long-term most important task. What did that tension look like as you guys were parenting and potentially even now as grandparents? I think because we are first generation Christians, we raised our kids with the um, with kind of the haunting understanding of how brutal this world is apart from Jesus. So I I don't want to say that we are parenting out of fear, but there is I think when you come to know the Lord later in life, you've messed up along the way, you've been hurt along the way. You live in a healthy tension of there's nothing more important. Soccer practice is okay, but but equipping our sons and daughters to be able to know who they are in Christ, to be strong and resilient, to know the love of Christ, to experience the love of Christ for themselves. These are all things that are going to protect them in their future. So as a parent... You know, I I think a healthy fear is not a bad thing in the tension. Lest we get caught up in thinking we have to do all the things. And then, oops, we forgot to make disciples of our kids in the process, which is which is very easy to do, especially when parents don't really know where to start. We all have to make a choice of you can't do everything right Can't go everywhere can't do everything priorities, right? We all, and you know, I hate it when people say, but you always find time to do what you really love to do. <laughs> True. <you know>? yeah. <laughs> so it's painful sometimes when I look at myself, like you're just a flake, man, but you're sure finding time to do that, you know? Uh, but um, I think that Diane's, what she's saying is it, the message that we're teaching is the message of Jesus. And it, it's, it's, um, it's wonderful and it's life giving but it's heavy. It's like, there's a choice to make. Like I, when Diane was talking, it just made me think of uh, Matthew chapter seven, where Jesus said, um, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And many are those who enter by it, but the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And few are those who find it. And so he's basically saying, you've got to choose There's a broad way that leads to destruction, but 
but the Jesus way leads to life every time. And so I think once uh, a mom and dad, first they have to, you can't pass on what you don't possess. So you, you have to ask yourself, am I really a passionate Jesus follower? And then out of that, it's just going to, it's going to leak out of you. You, mm. you can't not, you can't not talk to your kids about Jesus because he's the king of your life, you know? And so we always talk at the end of our conferences, we just have a full on, like, you know, commitment time. Like, is this true of you as a mom or dad? And, you know, we've got dads are weeping and realizing, man, I didn't, you know, I, I love my kid, but I haven't really been focusing on the right things. And so for us, it's just your highest priority, the greatest thing you'll ever do, yeah. you know, whether your kid gets a, becomes a PhD or a plumber, if they end up away from God in hell forever, what's the point, right? So it's like you want them to be with you because everyone alive is going to spend eternity either with the Lord or away from the Lord. So of course you want your kids to be with you. So that's a heavy message, but it's a message of joy. And Jesus was the most happy, contented, joyful person. People love being around him. So it's, it's you know, we were created to to have that life. And I think that, you know, we when a parent is actually experiencing that and they lead their kids in that way, it, that's, that's the way a home should be. And I think we've seen it. We've seen it change so many people's marriages, homes, everything. And, Just putting Jesus first. And sometimes we think it has to be this very formal time consuming sort of a activity in our lives. But Deuteronomy six lays it out as an everyday while you're driving the kids to school when your daughter comes to you heartbroken because she got rejected on the playground or your son is troubled over things his friends are doing i mean it's an everyday we're we're there because we as parents are spending time with the lord in the word we're learning we're growing so we're there to draw on that wisdom to respond to our kids. So it seems to me that it's almost more of a way of doing life that is very responsive to your children. Um, kind of one eye on Jesus and one eye on your kids um, sort yeah. of thing, rather than some sort of program that takes hours every week. Yeah, sometimes yeah. sometimes it's easy to miss Deuteronomy 6. It's so clear. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. These things I'm commanding you. Commanding who? The parents. And you yeah. teach them to your children when you walk by the way. So it's like God says, Hey, you love me with all your heart. And then I'm commanding you to, to commanding you, not suggesting yeah. to teach these things to your kids. And I think that that means you have to decide if it's a high priority. You know, the Apostle Paul in Philippians with this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I press toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He goes, This is what I am all about. And I feel like when a parent says this one thing I do. Yeah. It doesn't mean you don't do soccer. It doesn't mean you don't do ice cream. You do all the fun stuff, but you, you do it with Jesus at the center of the family. Almost the opposite side of the spectrum to me is folks who over, like you were saying, Diane, folks who over program this because yeah. there isn't a more eloquent way to say this. And I, and I thought about this question driving in, you guys have done the thing you are, resilient disciples and you have raised resilient disciples who are now raising resilient disciples. We didn't necessarily always call it that, right? But you have lived this mission out really well. And we could sit for the next six hours and just tell stories about when that went well, when God came through unexpectedly, when that didn't go well, what you learned from that, right? Like we could just have the rest of this time be super practical and that'd be very valuable, I am sure. 
But one of the things that it also makes me think about is you guys have spent so much of your life in vocational ministry or very close to, if not within the walls of the church. And yet your kids, many of whom are pastors themselves, love the church, love the local church, have this wonderful relationship. And so many pastors' kids wind up with growing up with a burden with their relationship with the church, have a resentment, become prodigals in themselves. And I asked this with zero judgment or condemnation. Was that a conscious fear to raise your kids to love the church? And if so, how did you keep that balance between, I want to make sure that my kids love this for themselves and not just because it's part of mom and dad's job? Was it a fear? No, it, wasn't. it was never a fear of mine that growing up with us serving in vocational ministry that our kids would rebel. In fact, I heard that so much. Mm. And I saw it. I did see, I, I did see some of it, but I thought, where's that in the Bible? So when I, way back when I was at uh, Multnomah Biblical Seminary back in 1981, when Jamark was six months old, the first paper I wrote, I had to type it on a typewriter, no computers yet, <laughs> was on this very subject, you know, the godly Christian family, the ultimate discipleship tool. And in it was, is it a given <laughs> that a child of a pastor will rebel? <laughs> I said, no. Yeah. I mean, they're all going to, you know, they're going to, there'll be a natural pulling away and the question and things like that. But I thought, no, that that's not, why would I live life in that fear? Um, and so I, I think it does happen, but I think there's all kinds of reasons for it. Hmm. Um, one is if dad is one thing in the pulpit, then it's a different thing at home. That'll kill it every time because kids are smart. So if mom and dad are the same people on Sunday as they are on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, um, that's huge. And so I think some kids rebel because they see a, a lack of authenticity. Others, I mean, the church is demanding. I mean, it is it's not, a, it's not a, it's a lifestyle job. And if you're called to, you just love it. I mean, I mm -hmm. never, I just loved, I never thought Diane was amazing. She never, you know, she found creative ways. We found creative ways. You know, if I had to be out till 11 o'clock at night with an elders meeting, we invented this thing called Linner which is we went out to Chili's at four o'clock, you know, and yeah. what they really meant is dad's going to be gone tonight. But all they knew was we're going out for early dinner with dad, yeah. you know, so, because she was so in it with me. But I think sometimes pastors can get so involved in the church. They do ignore their kids and the kids grow bitter because dad's never around, mm -hmm. you know, there's that reason. But I really think the authenticity is, is huge, you know, mm -hmm. and we were in churches that were alive and we actually left a couple because they weren't. We mm. thought if we stay here, our kids are going to think this is what following Jesus is and it's not. And so, um, you know, it's not like you just stay in the church forever, no matter what's going on. So I think in on that authenticity, we were really careful to not make our kids be examples in any way. Right. Um, we wanted our kids to be genuinely who they were, growing, stumbling, making mistakes. They weren't examples. And we were not viewing ourselves. I think it was people who discipled us made sure that we weren't viewing ourselves as examples mm -hmm. to the church, that we were genuinely growing people. And, um, and I think that's really important. If kids have to perform at church, who, who, who wants that? Who's yeah. going to embrace that kind of thing? 
But we also were really blessed to be in churches that were like families to us. Um, Our being first generation Christians, our parents, our brothers and sisters came along behind us. We didn't have this backlog. So we connected ourselves to older people in the church who'd walked with God for a long time to families who had several generations behind them. Yeah. You know, we were asking questions all the time. And, you know, we, we, we wanted to be part of this whole movement of God. So I think our kids might've caught some of the excitement of that. We, mm. we, we got to have some of the most amazing yeah. people at our dinner table and our kids would listen <clears throat> wide eyed at these stories of, of what God was doing in different parts of the world or people who had been so brave and courageous and full of faith. Yeah. I think we all saw it as not just us, but our kids too saw following Jesus as something really heroic and um, exciting, exciting. There's also the, the, the other side, the, the church is a place where broken people are made well in Jesus, yeah. you know, so then, you know, the church is a hospital, right? It's an emergency right. ward. So, um, you know, when we were at one church um, that grew really fast from like 40 people to 1200 in like four years and was all new Christians, we took our kids with us, with them. So that was one of our things, by the way, is we involved kids in ministry. Uh, so they, they were part of it. But what I wanted to say is um, a horrible thing happened within three weeks, two of the five pastors committed adultery. So John Mark was eight years old and he knew what was going on. And so that's where discipleship enters in. That's where you can talk even at a level that, you know, an eight-year-old can understand about what happened with these guys. And one of them was beautifully repentant. And and John Mark knew these guys. There wasn't like a mega, mega church. And most of the meetings were happening at our house so that it could be kept very private with the elders until the message could be, you know, so he watched one pastor just be arrogant and never really seemed to ever repent. And one just broken and repentant and marriage restored. He watched the whole thing happen. So, so when you're following Jesus in ministry and you bring your kids into it, you have these conversations. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I think, like you said, it's not a prescriptive thing. Do these eight things, memorize these eight verses and they'll be all well, you know, you got to yeah. walk when you walk by the way, when you rise up, when you sit down and when the trials come. Right. But it, and it comes back to what you're saying of it is going to leak out of you. Right. Because I think one of the, one of the challenges, you know, I have young kids. One of the challenges that the world loves to tell you as a parent in this day and age is how perfect your kids have to be. Right. There's an achievement culture that is so pervasive in young kids today mm-hmm. that I'm sure you guys are, <laughs> you guys see a lot in your ministry. And that's antithetical to the gospel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The fact is, you know, I love as much heart heartbreak as there is in that story. What an example to be able to give your son of quite literally the way of Jesus and the way of the world and to be able to have, but then also that that gift of discipleship of we're just going to talk about it. Because I think so often we tie ourselves up in, in knots as parents of just not being a, willing to say to our kids, like, you know what? I don't know. Or yes, this is really hard. Or just being able to admit our own humility. Yeah. yeah. But it often yeah. 
that's where God's going to shine the brightest. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious yeah. for you, I'm curious for you guys, because you guys are, you've used this term a couple of times and I want to make sure we define it. It's, it's an obvious term, but I want it's something that you, it's a term you introduced me to that I love, which is first generation Christ followers. So mm-hmm. just to start there, how did your ministry get connected to serving first generation Christ followers? Why is this community so important to you? When we were actually putting a, the conference together, Bill started every every study session. He would ask me, "What did you need when this was you? Mm. You know, when I was a young mom, what did you need when your kids were birth to five? Right. right. What or, did you need when they were six to eleven? Right. Yeah. And um, what do you wish you'd had? What do you wish you'd known? And then we talked about our mistakes during during that period of time. So I think because we were so new to all of this and we didn't have parents or grandparents or aunts or uncles that we could ask, how in the world do you do this? How do you actually lead your children into a compelling faith? You know, how do they not just love sweet Jesus at Sunday school, but actually want him with all their hearts? And um, we had, because we didn't have any sort of examples or anything to follow, I think it was hard. We were always learning, always feeling like, are we doing this right? Are we doing enough? Are we doing too much? Are we, you know, are, are they going to have wounds from this time? You know, we were starting to hear things about woundedness and about uh, we were seeing kids walk away from their faith from what seemed to be really good and were good Christian homes. So all of that, I think, combined was like, okay, so when we put together the conference and we began to teach parents, it was what did Diane, what did young mom Diane and young dad Phil need? And so because we didn't really have it, or it seemed like when we got it, it was from a little bit of wisdom from this person over here, maybe a dinner out with that person over there. It, it wasn't all together in a way that we could really wrap our hearts and heads around it. So mm-hmm. that's, I think, is the compelling um, desire that we have, especially to help those who just don't have that wonderful background of faith of people who can come alongside and help them. Would you say? Yeah, yeah. The only thing I'd add to that is, you know, so I'm not sure if I understood your question, but we are first generation Christians, but the people that are following this ministry aren't necessarily, yeah. some are, some have a great heritage of faith. Some have parents who are quote Christians, but aren't really, they don't open the Bible during the week. And so, but they're, they're on fire. So they, yeah. they don't really have, they were raised and they accepted the Lord. Maybe they got baptized when they were yeah. 10 or something, but their parents weren't like really making disciples of their kids and now they want to do it. So we have a lot of that happening too. And then but, one of one yeah. of the best compliments we had was a um daughter of a of a pretty renowned pastor who came and they had just had their first baby like six months old. And she's at the end of the conference she said, I get it. That is what my parents did with us. And you just made it clear what my parents did. In, in other words, oh, I wow. it, but you told me what they actually did. Yeah, that was the coolest. Thing. Yeah, because we know this pastor. He prayed over us before we planted a church in Portland, and uh, she basically it had happened to her. 
Yeah. But she didn't. We she, just kind we of, kind of walked through. Okay, because now she had a baby. Like, yeah. Oh, that's dad did oh my mom and dad did that oh, they did that. <laughs> so that's a cool story too but unfortunately i wish we had more of those you know yeah but well that's delightful though to be able to get that confirmation because i think yeah. that in that intergenerational discipleship that uh communal uh discipleship which i think is something that the global church does so much better than we do in the west yeah. is something that you guys clearly have a sense you got you caught on on how important that is early and it is a value that is continuing to make a difference in the lives of your kids and the lives of your grandkids because i'm fascinated by the reason i wanted to start with that first generation term is i'm fascinated by your guys's long-term perspective you've seen this conversation shift you've seen this conversation evolve and you've seen this what it looks like to be an intentional parent become an intentional grandparent and also what it looked like to launch a ministry when we as a culture were in a different place with the church than we are today. And I don't love doing this normally, but I like you guys. So I'm going to ask you just kind of a straight up opinion question. I am curious from your seat, you know, what would you say is the biggest force working against parents and the discipleship of their kids today? This might surprise you, but I think, one of the biggest forces is apathy on the part of the parents. Mm. Um, you know, if you watch during COVID when pretty much people were told they can't gather for worship, you would think there would be this craving and hunger to be back in church on Sunday with the family of God. But with some exceptions, most pastors, not only were they beat up during COVID, you know, no matter what you said, it, you know, you were wrong. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. So they got out of that and then half the church never returned mm -hmm. and they got used to staying home. And now it's just, you know, people that are, yeah, I follow Jesus. I'm saved. I've been baptized, read my Bible, but no, we don't go to church and they're not raising their kids to go either. And if you look through the new Testament, there's a lot to be said about gathering the new Testament gathered in the temple and house to house. It's both. Um, and so, um, I, I think what's going on there, you know, and, and sure there was definitely a, a, a pruning, uh, God got the attention of the whole world. And he's always saying, come to me, come to me that you might experience life with a capital L he's calling people and he's still calling people, but, but that's kind of baffled me. And it's, it's, it's been a sad, um, and I'm thinking mostly of the West here, you know, mostly yeah. where Portland's one of the most liberal, the whole state isn't liberal, but it's like a lot <laughs> So it's the state, the cities that control the politics and stuff are super liberal. Um, you know, it's a, it, Portland's a dark, dark city. Um, but where the darkness is darker and the light shines brighter. But I think that you have to question, like, what's going on with the parents? And I think they're going to really regret it, many of them down the line, when their kids are not interested at all. And so I think that there's definitely demonic forces and, you know, all the things that parents have to face, the gender issues, all of these things, they're real. And they're straight out of the pit of hell. And Ephesians 6 says very clearly, we wage not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, um, the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So put on the armor of God. And then you go down, 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 take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then when you go to battle, what does it say? Pray at all times. So like, you know, the battle's not fought like beating people up and screaming at people. It's, it's fought and won in prayer. So I think, yes, there's a definitely a battle going on for the soul of our nation, but for the souls of parents. And I think 
Satan, he hates everything that God made because it's good and beautiful. That's why he wants to destroy every marriage. He wants to destroy every kid. And, and parents have to be smart. Like, Hey, I'm in a battle. I'm in a war. I need to pray and sometimes fast for my kids. And I need to make sure I'm not being caught up and becoming complacent and apathetic. That's all true. And I think there is definitely the battle that we see, but I think that in some ways that can make you stronger. Yeah. It's like when the opposition's from outside, it pulls the church together. It's when there's division and hatred and judgment between believers. It can kind of becomes just ugly. So I think sometimes we can blame what's happening on what we see outside, which is real. So I guess what I'm saying is, yes, there is that battle. There's that factor, but I think apathy is, I don't know, babe, yeah. what you want to add to that. Yeah. And we, we have been dismayed. We, we did both think that after COVID the church would be stronger than ever because we tasted what it is like to be without each other. Um, and in some ways that there's been a healthy disappointment realizing you can't just go to church and watch the show. Um, that can no longer, that kind of maybe worked for a little while in the eighties and the nineties, you know, yeah. we got enamored with the show, but now we need the church to be family. We need them mm -hmm. to be our community. To, uh, they're at our birthday parties. We, you know, our, they're at our birthday parties, they're at our celebrations, they're in our home all the time. We're sharing meals together, just like the early church. And parents, more than anybody, need that. They need that. Their kids need that. Like one of my, we have two daughters and two sons. One of my daughters is very much like me. We, we our relationship with the Lord is similar. Um, my other daughter is way more like Phil. She, she's much more of an intellectual. She loves science. Give her all the statistics about the likelihood of creation. And, and she just thrills at it. Well, my own sort of more mystical, quiet devotion to Christ is not as appealing to her. So I needed to connect her with other women in the body of Christ so she could see, oh, this fits with them too. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? If without the church, it would have been easy for her to conclude that, well, that works for mom, but I'm made up so different than mom. But instead, she had multiple women who thrilled with her at the more um, apologetic side of the faith. We need that as parents. Otherwise, our kids could, could conclude that our faith just doesn't fit them very well. So we're disappointed. You know, we see families in church. One of the kids has got a cold and the whole family stays home from church. You know, um, those kind of habits that are, I think, going to weaken their children's faith because it's easier to stay home and stay in your PJs and have mm -hmm. brunch and have a great time. Oh, or <laughs> have a baby and you won't see him for a year. Yeah. You say, I thought you guys left the church. Oh, no, we had a child. Well, you know, that I, I it, it's sad, really, because, yeah. you know, they, absolutely. They, they, Jesus ordained the church and he's Lord of the church and he set up elders. So we're, I'm under authority. Everybody needs to be under authority for their own good. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. why it says that obey your leaders and submit to them for they watch over your souls. And so I have, I have, man, they're, they're younger than me now, but they're still watching over my soul. And I've told them, you have the right to speak into my life. Yeah at any time because I need 
to be shepherded. And I have other men that are closer to my age that also I've given that invitation to. And Diane isn't the female Lone Ranger either. So I guess, I guess, you know, I, I don't know, this is how, maybe that's not what you're expecting as an answer, but I guess no. we want to live the banner of, of the local church. And yeah. yes, it needs to be a Bible preaching, Jesus loving, Holy Spirit moving, authentic, authenticity in the leadership. And, you know, we're a, a group of men and, you know, and women that, can be trusted, but it's, it's really important. And I think it, it helps energize your faith. It's just the whole al analogy of if you got a rate, a burning fire and you take a hot coal out of it and set it over here, it's going to go out. Mm -hmm. And so I think when it goes out in a mom and dad's life, God's still gracious. And one of those kids may just find their own way, but, but it was God's plan that those parents would keep those kids in the fire. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Research is clear. Parents hold the most significant influence in a child's development. That's why Awana developed TalkAbout. TalkAbout delivers child discipleship through simple discussions and family fun, forming lasting faith, one conversation at a time. With your family's monthly subscription, you'll receive an email each week containing your talk about bundle, including guided conversations through suggested scripture passages, which allow families to engage in the Bible and answer big questions with the truth of God's word. You'll also get fun hands-on activities to take the guesswork out of child discipleship. Kids will color, create, sing, and share, and kids will remember and reinforce what they've learned throughout the week. It's the everyday moments of life that can become moments that make an eternal difference. These are the moments Talk About was created for. Bring the gospel home and help your kids form lasting faith one conversation at a time. Try one month of Talk About for free with this special promo code exclusive for our podcast listeners. Resilient. That's resilient for one month of Talk About for free. Get started today at talkaboutdiscipleship.com. The apathy challenge terrifies me, particularly for my generation of parents, because everything about parenting for my generation is about how to make it easier. Yeah, yeah. And part of that is set up because of what we talked about earlier of there are legitimate unique challenges to parenting in today's culture mm -hmm. but like so many things i am fascinated by the fact that technology is now making a turn to we are now inventing technology to get us to use less technology i think the apathy thing is really real and what i love about what you guys are doing in your ministry which people can find out more about in the show notes is it is impossible to listen to you guys talk, listen to your work, check out some of what you guys are doing and remain apathetic. Because I think what happens when you are with folks who have, in your guys' case to me, you guys have gone before me, right? But in any case, what you're describing in that local church context, God made us specifically where when you were actually in that community, 
you can't be apathetic. We were we weren't wired for that to be possible. That isolation is where that apathetic or where that apathy sinks in for at least at least for me to speak again personally mm-hmm. for me. Now, what's going to happen next, uh, dear listener? is I'm going to have Kelly Bartley from the Iwana team join me because I want to make sure that we have a brief conversation about how you, because so many of you who listen are church leaders and how you communicate what Phil and Diane have just shared to your parents. Because if this conversation just exists within the four walls of your own homes, that is great. But we recognize that so many of you are listening, have influence in your communities and in broader networks than just your own four walls. But the last thing I would ask is just simply, there's a lot of church leaders who are listening right now, guys, who are probably pretty frustrated, who are probably dealing with some of that apathy themselves and also dealing with that with parents who they feel are distant, who aren't getting back to them. Or maybe they're feeling like they don't care about the discipleship of their kids if they're feeling really judgmental, right? It is critically important that parents work with church leaders, that church church leaders work with parents. But as folks who have been in this sort of family ministry space, to use a term that I don't particularly care for, how do we encourage that church leader with what that parent needs during such a time as this? Yeah, well... um... I, I, you're talking about two different things. So first of all, if, if, if there's some pastors listening, some kids, pastors, some children's leaders, and, you know, even lead pastors, and they're feeling apathetic, well, the fix for that's really easy, but it'll cost you everything. (laughs) (laughs) We all deal with it. I I deal with it. You know, like, I mean, I hope people listening, we made all kinds of mistakes. (laughs) No parents look back and go, wow, I did everything, Mm -hmm. you know, but, but we saw God's grace all along the way. But um, I, I would just open up the revelation too. I don't want Jesus to say to me what he had to say to the church of Ephesus. I know your deeds, your toil, perseverance, you know, pastors work hard. I mean, you're, you're not in it for the money, right? And, <laughs> and, but he said, and I see your perseverance and you endure for my name's sake. You haven't gone weary, but I have this against you that you have left your first love. Well, that's apathy. Okay. I don't want Jesus to say that to me. And when I feel like maybe he's going to say it to me because I'm getting apathetic, the next verse says, remember from where you have fallen. I love the Lord. He's so loving. He doesn't just, he doesn't hammer. He said, just remember from where you've fallen, repent, which means turn around and go the opposite direction, change your mind, do the deed you did at first. And then there's a warning or else, (laughs) but it's because he wants the best for us. So I think so if, if there's a leader who's apathetic, just, you know, say, Lord, <laughs> I got to remember why I got into this in the first place. Yeah. If, if it's not an identity thing. If it is, then you're in trouble because ministry is going to be exciting and it's going to be really hard at times. And if mm-hmm. you're looking to ministry to satisfy you, it's not going to work. You got to fall in love with Jesus and minister out of the overflow of your life. But as far as working with parents, um, there are going to be apathetic parents, but there's going to be some who aren't. So I think what we would say, we were talking about this question because you said you might a- you might ask it. We would find the ones who aren't apathetic and in, and just what, however you do it, you know how to do Guys are smart. Leaders are smart. Whether it's having 10 of them in your home or having them start assisting you or 
working with the ones who really do want to raise passionate Jesus followers, because then others will see that fire and start to join. So don't just say, well, wow, nobody's, you know, Diane says we didn't have any mentors. What she means by that is it wasn't clear for us. We had to go find them, but there were two families. They were missionary families who raised their kids in the field. And now they're in high school and they'd come back home. And we looked at their kids and we thought, our kids were way younger. We want our kids to turn out like that. So we went after them. And so we, there's mentors around. And, and, and I think that, um, for, for people that are leaders, you know, you find that couple there, you don't need 20 of them. You know, you find two or three and you start hanging out with them and just say, how can we do this better? How can you help me? I want to make a deeper connection with the families because, our younger son, Matthew, was a youth pastor. He's not right now for a number of years. And he loved high schoolers so much, but he would cry yeah. because he would say, I can't solve the problem because it's in the home. And so he wanted so badly to fix what was going on in the home, but he couldn't fix the parents. There's going to be heartbreaks like that. But then there's going to be parents who like are doing it at home and they're bringing their kids to church because that's exactly what they want. They want it reinforced by somebody who's closer to their age who say, he's saying the same thing my parents say. That's where the partnership comes and it's powerful. It's really powerful. And the only last thing I'd say is a lot of people who follow our ministry, even who invite us to come to their churches are not the lead pastors, usually the children's pastor quite often. Mm. But we always say, we'll only come if your lead pastor wants us to come because we know that if the, the, the whoever's leading the church is not passionate about helping parents. So I, I think sometimes if I was a children's pastor, I would want to have a conversation with my lead pastor. Like I need your help. Like, Hey, in one of your sermons, can you talk about how important yeah. it is for parents to be like living this out? And I think the trumpet has to be sounded from the entire leadership of the church. That this is God's plan that parents have the primary influence over their kids. We're here to help them to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And part of that is equipping parents to do this right. So I feel like it's, it's gotta be come from, from leadership. Yeah. I almost think that we need to make sure we have two ministries going on. One is to the kids themselves. We want them to grow up having all sorts of warm, fuzzy feelings about church mm -hmm. so that even if they are that huge percent of college kids who walk away someday, when they have their own kids, they kind of remember Church was a great place to be. That's really important. But now I think of equal, if not more importance, we need to have ministry to parents themselves. Mm. We need to realize that we're, we have almost lost a generation of parents who do not know how to raise passionate Jesus followers. And, and many of them want to know how. Um, and, and that sometimes when people come to like one of our conferences, you can see that maybe the wife really is present and she's real excited and the husband's kind of sitting back in the chair, his arms crossed, he's not taking notes. But often I will see after, after a little while him to start to sit up a little straighter, catch the vision and begin to see, oh, this is something I want from my kids and I can do this. You're showing me how. So if pastors and ministry leaders can, and elders can begin to show the parents how and, and see that it is not really complicated, but it's a whole lifestyle, I think you would get more and more parents all the way in to make disciples of their kids. 
Yeah, and I don't know if this is appropriate or not. So if not, you can edit it out. But you, you said there's a lot of leaders that listen. And so uh, by the grace of God, we were able to raise enough funds to record our entire parenting conference uh, professionally done on in nine, a nine-video series. And um, our our board, we we decided to give it to any pastor who wants to use it as they don't have to buy it. We have really nice notebooks and stuff, but it's like, so if there's somebody listening, like, Hey, I, I want to do some of my parents. Well, Hey, we'll, we'll give you, just get hold That's of right. us. We'll give you the film series and you can start your own thing. Pick the, pick the parents that are really interested and start, start working on it, you know? So uh, if we can be of any help in that way, yeah. we, we, we'd love to, because that's what we're called to do. Guys, thank you so much for your time, for your wisdom, for your ministry. I am so excited for folks to be able to get even more connected to you at this year's Child Discipleship Forum. Folks can learn more about that in the show notes. We will definitely have you back uh, for more on that later in the fall. And for those of you who are listening, stay tuned. We will be right back with Kelly Bartley. Thanks, everybody. Welcome back to the Child Discipleship Podcast. Thank you for listening and thank you for sticking with us. Um, Kelly Bartley joins the podcast. Kelly, welcome. Thank you for doing this, Kelly. It has been too long. Good to be here, Ross. So Kelly, folks through the magic of podcasting just heard my conversation with Phil and Diane Comer, as you did as well. And there's a couple of things that jump out to me about this conversation beyond how delightful the Comers are as people. One of the things to me is there is an optimism to the Comers that is both contagious and also fills me with hope. And similarly, you are someone that has been invested in this work with child discipleship for a long time, for most of your career. And you are someone who is constantly able to fight against the cynicism of, well, these parents aren't texting me back or the, well, this child establishment thing, you know, it's too hard, right? Some of that, some of that weight that comes from the world. And yet you are someone who's also able to kind of grab onto the, this is hard, but this is worth it. What do you think it is about you or the Comers that allows you to stay connected to the hope that is associated with this work rather than the cynicism that frankly, I too often get attached to? Well, it's a good question. I, I appreciate the compliment. I, I'll be transparent here that cynicism was was part of my early career, as most of us pre pre experience, right? Uh, and even pre becoming a parent, uh, it was. I was just like the one in the grocery store where you see a kid, you know, having a fit, and you go, "Oh, my kid would never." And then you got, you know, humors you with uh, toddlers who throw their own fits and you go, oh, okay, it's not so easy. So I, I would say part of the hope and part of the optimism definitely comes with a deep understanding um, and empathy of what it means to be a parent and the challenges of what it means to be a parent. Um, I myself am a parent. I'm in the midst of it. I've got teenagers and also some elementary school. So I'm right in the thick of it. Um, and understand not only as, as a mom, but also in working with parents, like you said, for the last couple decades, there is a journey that parents are going through. There's a lot that's unseen. Um, 
So when you can sit and listen and hear stories, you realize there's a lot more behind the surface and a better understanding of why it's hard to be a parent, especially in today's society. There was a level of conviction that I think Phil in particular was sharing that I really responded to of, you know, this is this is important. And parents, we just have to. Right. Like I loved what he was saying about one kid being sick and the whole family missing church. Right. Or trying to experience it from their couch online because it's easier because spoiler alert, it is easier. It is easier. <laughs> right. But yet I'm reminded that for so many parents who are listening. I've certainly made that choice. Right. I'm I have young kids who are one kid's been sick and I've stayed home. Right. If I'm a church leader, how do I help a parent who has made that choice not feel condemned by that, but focus on making sure they get back to church the next week, making sure they stay connected to the family. Because I think so often we as parents, whether intentionally or unintentionally, sort of throw condemnation on ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that creates this distance that ultimately so many people never actually recover from. How do church leaders continue to build bridges to their parents rather than uh, creating gaps? It's a great question. I would say there's two things within that that jumped to my head immediately. One of them is, and this came up in the talking with Phil and Diane about authenticity. We talked, they talked about the fact that kids can see that authenticity. And especially as adults, we can see that parents can see that. So, you know, to your earlier question of a little bit of the cynicism that can happen, parents can see that and can feel that. They can know that a check in of how are you doing is coming from a place of, hey, I really want to know how you're doing or, a place of condemnation and, sh and shame. So I would say there's a way that we approach conversations with parents. There's a way that we approach um, how we talk to parents, how we communicate. And we're starting with a level of grace and understanding. Um, so that's one. I would say secondly within that is helping families to see the vision and the importance of why coming to church is important. So it's not just to beef up our numbers. It's not just so the kid can get the star on their chart, right? There is an importance because like the conversation Phil and Diane were talking about when, when kids are continuously there, they have that community around them. They're continuing to learn and to know more. It's a lifestyle, right? And so that's why it's so important. So when parents can grasp that vision of why being a part of a church body is important, not only for them as parents, but also for their kids, then it's a little bit of a different conversation. It's no longer a conversation about shame. It's no longer, I should do this or I shouldn't do this, but inviting them into that vision um, gives a better reason to want your kid to be there on Sunday morning. I want to ask you about how we as church leaders can apply this not only to our own families, but also to the families in our communities, because I think that's really the central focus of this uh, conversation you and I are having. But before we do that, one of the most interesting parts of Phil and Diane and I's conversation was when they spoke about apathy. Mm. I asked them, what's the biggest force against parents and discipleship? And they said apathy, which I thought was really interesting. And yet I think about my own life and that's really is pretty true. The thing that gets in the way of discipleship, my own kids, isn't their temper tantrums. It's yeah, sure. Watch another show. Yeah, sure. You know, it's fine. 
right? It is that apathy that creeps in where I want to keep scrolling on Instagram. So I'm choosing the lesser things rather than the best things for them. Yeah, well, and I I completely agree that apathy is is a big part of it. If I were to push back slightly, Ooh, fun. I would say that partnered with apathy is a little bit of overwhelm too. Mm. Um, I think that parents, it's a it's a combination of I don't I don't know if this is important. Eh, it's no big deal, and the man, I'm so overwhelmed with what it means to be a parent. I'm so overwhelmed with all of the things going on in my life, all the things in my kids' lives that um, sometimes to do what you know you should do um, can be hard. So I think sometimes it's a little bit of both overwhelm and apathy that parents are facing. Um, And so again, why coming at it with understanding of that and some grace in that to say, this isn't to shame you. This isn't to add one more thing of here's another way you're failing as a parent, but to say, let me come alongside and help you. Let This is, you know, we, the, Phil and Diane talked about the importance of community, that our churches are a place where that community exists and we come alongside parents and help them. So that way, if, overwhelm is part of the reason within it to say, you're not alone in this, but we're here to support you. You have this family. Um, you know, we have this tribe that comes alongside you to help you in this journey of parenting. So you're very gracious to say yes to something like this, because I think that one of the concerns that I have about a podcast, like this interview with Phil and Diane is that a bunch of people listen to it and go, man, that was a really nice conversation. And then they move on. And the point of our conversation is to make sure that we really spell out for people that there's a potential here to make a far greater impact, not only just with the kids in your house or the kids that are closest to you, but really to transfer it to the kids in your community and the broader potential for child discipleship. So you're listening to this not only as someone who has a lot of experiences as a children's ministry leader, but you're listening to this as a parent, you're listening to this as someone who is an expert in this place. But you're also listening to this as someone who's a very gifted communicator. And I'm curious how we begin to transfer this of, yes, Phil and Diane had a bunch of really good stuff that I'm sure was helpful to you as a mom, because I know it was helpful to me as a dad. Mm-hmm. But I know that I need to make sure that folks who are listening go, no, this is also helpful to the families in my church. How do we as church leaders help the parents understand that this isn't just a message for people who really like this child discipleship stuff? This is a message for everybody. What are some of those initial steps? Well, at the end of the time listening to the podcast was these are the three words that sort of what I would take as next steps. Vision, education, and example. I think vision, helping parents and and taking it further than just parents, helping your whole church, you know, senior pastors, right? Leadership of the church, um, seeing the vision of why child discipleship is so important. Secondly, education, educating our parents to know how do I do that? Um, you know, 
there are many, and and I'll include myself in this generation because I am in this generation of parents right now. You as well, Ross. There's many of us in this generation who we ourselves were not properly, quote unquote, properly discipled. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it's hard. I mean, just like how do you be a parent in the midst of a pandemic? I don't know. There's no manual for this. Right. Um, we we were not ourselves. Uh, many of us parents did not. We're not educated on what discipleship looks like. And so then parents, there's no blame to go. Well, you wouldn't know what to do because you didn't learn it that way. Um, there's many who were gifted and blessed to have that. But for those who weren't, education is incredibly important to say, here's how to do this. This is what discipleship looks like. So vision, education, and then that example, um, you know, they talked about having mentors. I think that is so critical and important to have someone who can set that example for you and to see this is what it looks like. Um, and that's within that community. So those are the three words that really stood out to me. Um I would say there's parents not knowing where to start is a big part of it to go. It's so overwhelming. Where do I begin? Um, what's a small success look like? What's a small step in the right direction? And so not only giving that vis vision, but when you give that education to give like, here's one thing you can do. Here's, you know, one little tangible item that you can kind of check this off your list of, okay, I'm making a step in the right direction. Discipleship, we know is not a list, a checklist of a bunch of things, but for parents to stick with it, it's just like a fitness routine, right? To go to feel like I'm having success in this journey. If I can check some things off, if I can track something and see that I'm getting better, then I'm going to stick with it. And I would say that's part of that education is training them how, but then giving them tangible ways to check it off, to feel like, okay, I see the progress I'm making and to help you stick with it. So people are, are hearing this very early in January. Most people, if you're listening to this at a different time, Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. But what I'm curious about is for the vast majority of folks, they're starting a brand new year. And I don't want to get too New Year's resolution-y. <laughs> but for a lot of folks, they're probably looking at it like, okay, this year I'm going to get serious, right? I felt that when my couple years ago when with my oldest where I was like, oh, discipleship just got real, right? She became a certain age where I was like, oh, she's actually remembering what I say to her now. She's mm -hmm. actually paying attention in church. Like we just got in the game. So to that end, about one small step, one next thing, what are some tangible examples or one thing in particular that you as a, as someone who has experience in this, were able to say to the parents in your community that you know was always successful or often bore a lot of fruit? As a parent, you know your child best and know when's the best time to capture those moments of discipleship. So I'll talk to my kids specifically, though, if you're having a conversation with a parent, it's they know their kid best. So when when might be best for your kid? For my kids, um, the best types of conversations typically happen either right before bed or right after school. 
Now, not every parent has the luxury of being able to be with their child right after school, but I would most I would expect most parents are with their child right before they go to bed, um, or at least some of the days of the week, right? Capitalizing on those moments when your kid is already at a place where they're wanting to talk about things, where they're wanting to maybe have questions and reframing those opportunities of time to join into their everyday questioning. So for example, bedtime can be a time that can be challenging because it's often kids know I like to ask lots of questions at bedtime and talk about things because I can stall how much later I'm going to be awake tonight, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so you can have that be moments where you um, bring discipleship into that. Ask the things that they're asking, the questions that, that they're having, you're joining them into those everyday routines and bringing Christ into that. So that's one small step where if you say every night at bedtime, I'm going to make sure that whatever my kid is bringing up, we're going to have that conversation. I'm going to ask them a question about God and we can pray together. And it's one small thing that you're doing, but you're continually bringing that into every day. Um, after school is my personal favorite. And I would highly recommend if parents have the luxury to be with their child directly from school, uh, because this is typically when they come home with their problems. Um, or the things that worked well, or the things that were frustrating. And it's joining them in that moment. So it may be, oh, I had this teacher was harsh today. I didn't like how this conversation went. And it's that turns into a discipleship conversation. Because then you can talk about how God created people differently about what it means to deal with stress, what it means to deal with difficult people, um, what it means to deal with challenges. And that becomes part of your discipleship conversation. So I guess one small tangible thing would be talking to your kids every day and bringing Christ into that. And that is, it seems like a simple thing, but as you know, we were talking about Deuteronomy six, right? It's everyday discipleship. And I think that is one small way, but it makes a huge maximum impact. The Child Discipleship Podcast is powered by Awana. Thanks to the donations of generous folks like you, Awana partners with 62,000 churches in 130 countries to make resilient disciples. When you give to Awana, you are investing in lasting faith. Young people who will engage the culture with the gospel and fearlessly lead the church into the future. To make a donation to this mission, go to awana.org donate. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode and check out the show notes of today's episode for relevant links from this conversation, as well as information about other podcasts from Awana. The podcast is mixed, edited, and produced by Marlon Washington and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. Our theme song is Fresh Air by Christian hip-hop artist Josiah Williams and Hits by Jude. You also heard All Let Go, provided by Josiah Williams from his album Rerouting 2. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week.